Good evening, everyone. One more time. Good evening. How are we doing? Can you hear me? It needs to be turned up just a little bit. So we'll try it again. Good evening. Third time's the charm. Okay? Good. So, good evening. (laughs) Welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you again this year. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And it's a pleasure to be greeting you here in the green room of the War Memorial Building, in the Veterans Building here in San Francisco, as well as to be greeting those folks who may be listening at a later date. I want to welcome you also to San Francisco Ballet's 79th repertory season. Those years just keep mounting up. And to the first program of our Points of View season. This is Wednesday, February 1st, and it's 2012. The Points of View series is produced by the Center for Dance Education, which is directed by Charles Chip McNeil, and the Adult Education Program is administered by Cecilia Beam. The Center for Dance Education produces a lot of educational programming, of course, um, including the Meet the Artist interviews, which take place one hour before curtain on selected evenings in the Opera House. They do a lot of programming for children and youth, including performances in the Opera House, as well as programs out in the community. And there are many other things that you can discover if you will visit the San Francisco Ballet's website, sfballet.org. There are so many things on the website that include video and recordings, but also the last up-to-date information about programming and casting. There's a blog, Studio 455, where you can see discussions and postings by dancers and staff. It's a rich, wonderful website. I encourage you to keep up with it. As we start a new season, We have just a few bits of news and housekeeping. I do want to remind you that audio devices are available. If that would help you enjoy this program better, they are available in the back. Um, Since we're talking about audio devices, I wonder if you would remember to check your cell phone and any other thing that you carry that might make beeps and dings and otherwise sound off during the middle of our conversations here. I have one other um, announcement. We will be, uh, we are producing the printed materials that include the future programming for the points of view and also includes information about our visiting scholar program. And I want to just highlight that. As you know, every year, the Center for Dance Education invites uh, a major historian or pedagogue from somewhere in the dance world. This year, that is. Um, Professor Beth Genet, who is a professor of dance history and art history at the University of Michigan. She was a principal researcher for the George Balanchine Foundation's project, Popular Balanchine, focusing on Balanchine's work in Hollywood. She organized the International Symposium from the Mariinsky to Manhattan, George Balanchine and the Transformation of American Dance and was one of the few American scholars invited to present her research in Russia at the symposium Balanchine Past, Present, and Future at the Hermitage. Her next book is A Study of Dance in American Musical Film and the Contributions of, among others, Balanchine, Fred Astaire, and Jean Kelly. She will be with us at Program 7, which, as you might have noticed, is an all-Balanchine program, and we will be giving you lots more information about that as the time comes. She will be doing a number of other lectures and programs over a week or two that she will be visiting in the Bay Area. This evening's guests... I need to pick up my clicker. We have visuals. We'd better use them. My guests this evening, 
really do represent an embarrassment of riches. Among them, they bring decades of experience in performance, choreography, arts management, and a vast reach throughout the length and breadth of the ballet world. All three have served the San Francisco Ballet in a variety of capacities over many years, and that makes them exceptionally suited to the discussion that we will have tonight. At this time, I'd like to ask them to join me up here. Guests, entrance. Our knees will be very close. <laughs> I don't know if I can get into second position anymore, but um, so I would like to really introduce my guests here. And starting on your left and on your left on the screen and your right sitting next to me, Ricardo Bustamante is ballet master and assistant to the artistic director and a principal character dancer. He danced with the company arriving here as a student in the early 1980s. He left in 1985 to join American Ballet Theater where he performed as a principal dancer for, I believe it was nine years returned to, to San Francisco Ballet in 1994 as a teacher in the school, went away from 1998 to 2004 while he directed Argentina's famous Ballet Teatro Colón and directed and choreographed for the Ballet de Santiago in Chile. He returned in 2004 as a ballet master and in 2009 was appointed assistant to the artistic director as well. He has produced his own versions of The Nutcracker, Le Corsair, and Giselle. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Ricardo. Thank you for having me. Next up here, and on the far, your far left as you're looking at the group is Bruce Sansom, who is ballet master and assistant to the artistic director. Bruce was trained and performed for, was trained at and performed for the Royal Ballet of England, um, concluding your career as a principal dancer in 19, in the year 2000. Just ask. <laughs> um, in the year 2000, in the year 1992, let's back up chronologically. In the year 1992, Bruce appeared as a principal dancer with San Francisco Ballet. And many of us may, although that was good grief 20 years ago, um, we will remember your performing and principal roles. And for some reason, Sleeping Beauty sticks in my mind. And there were many other things that season. Um, Bruce has taken a direction with his career. Um, he returned here in the year 2000 and spent a year as an artistic director apprentice and then went from here to the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. to complete a program in arts management. About five years of projects in an arts administration led him back here in 2009 as our assistant to the director and ballet master again. Thank you, Bruce, and welcome. And I won't fall back on the cliche, the rose between two. No, I won't. Um, Anita Pachotti is a ballet master and, of course, principal character dancer. In 2008, we celebrated 40 years of your participation in the Institution of San Francisco Ballet, and that was four years ago. <laughs> Very long tenure and packed with 
dancing, a hugely broad repertoire, excelling in the dramatic roles. I know many of us remember in the earlier years seeing your performances, and then from 1987 forward as a principal character dancer. Anita became ballet master in 1991 and has oversight of the works of such diverse choreographers as Paul Taylor, Jerome Robbins, Agnes DeMille, Christopher Wilden, and Yuri Posikoff, which keeps her busy. Thank you, Anita, and welcome. <laughs> So among the things they have in common is the shared responsibility that they take for preparing the large, dramatic, full-length works that appear in every San Francisco Ballet season, which um, sort of made a great deal of sense for all of you to be here contributing to this discussion because this season features not one, not two, but three large, dramatic, full, produ full production, full-length ballets. But what I'd like us to do is spend um, a few minutes just talking about the state of the current company, which includes some new dancers, some promotions, talk about the season coming up, because each of you will have a hand in it and has, hand, has had hands in it to this point. Um, we need to talk in depth about Onegin. And then perhaps just generally for a few minutes, if we can save some time at the end, about the virtue and value of the large dramatic works that San Francisco Ballet always includes. So now I have to do this juggling act with, there we go. We have, of course, a little bit of a new look to the company this year. Vito Mazzeo, who joined the company a year ago, performed for a year as a soloist, is now a principal dancer. And we will see him, I know, in featured roles as the season goes by. Can one of you name something that we will see him in and look forward to? Chroma. The ballet Chroma, which is a contemporary work. He's one of the cast of Yuri Pazakov's new ballet, Francesca de Rimini. Okay. We will we see. Will, as yes. we work through Perhaps. the season, we'll say in that one as well. <laughs> Some of them are not announced as yeah. yet as sure, well, but I think, sure, they'll, yeah. I think there will be a big yeah. one. A new addition to the company fairly recently, Victoria Ananyan, um, who is joining the company as a soloist. I have not had the opportunity to see her perform. Um, she comes originally from Armenia. I believe she comes to us through uh, the Dutch National Ballet. So another one of our wonderful stable of dancers with international experience and training. We had some news this week. I don't know if you all caught it. Two promotions were made basically after opening night of Onegin. Uh, kind of. Opening night was when Clara... So, I'm sorry. Opening night was when Clara Blanco was uh, promoted immediately after the performance. And then the following night, Saturday night, was when Doris Andre was promoted um, following her performance of Olga. That must be very dramatic to, be, to walk off stage and have that news facing you in the wings. I, I think from my perspective, it was fascinating because on opening night of Onyegin, there was an onstage... A champagne toast and Helgi Thomason gave the toast and at the end of it he called Clara forward and just said it's been a long time coming but you've been promoted so it was a very very public event and, and beautiful for that and I have to say I was very conscious that there was another person waiting in the wings <laughs> Doris um, hoping that she would get promoted and then the following night um, Helgi spoke to her after the performance, but just one-on-one -on -one and promoted her then and there. And I think probably for both of them, the delight was as strong, but it was a very different atmosphere in a way. Sure. So. But that's a little bit the stuff that uh, dreams are made of, to <laughs> Walk onto the stage in the core and walk off the stage as soloist. Um, we have a new addition to the, co to the company, Carlos Quenedit, 
who comes to us originally from, I believe, Cuba and has, again, been around the international circuit before coming to San Francisco Ballet. Again, I'm not sure that we, I have seen him perform. Not yet. Season just started. And there's a lot of dancing yet to happen. I saw him uh, very fortunately in the uh, run-through of Yuri's new Don Quixote that he did for um, the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago. That was really great. And and then uh, Helgi went to the opening of that, too. So he's been seen. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's in Yuri's new piece as well. Okay. Um, These are new members of our corps de ballet. And I would point out that um, of them, Patricia and Francisco, Raymond, Caroline, and Wanting, um, a number of them were apprentices last year and have been promoted to the Corps. Would one of you give a very, very brief um, description of what is an apprentice? I think we all understand the general concept of apprenticing. But technically, what is an apprentice in the ballet company? An apprentice is a young dancer who's chosen to spend full time as a company member, really, but as more of a a, a supportive or in a learning position. They're paid less. They are paid, and uh, I think enough to, you know, subsist uh, on, but they are um, in the studio and in class with us every day. The only real restriction is they're, they're not really allowed to take a role that could be taken by a company member. That's really the basic thing. Otherwise, they can learn even even featured roles sometimes, as long as they're not in the first sp- spot. You know, sure. So it, it's a wonderful opportunity for them. They learn a lot. They work really hard. So it's probably a win-win because the company um, acquires just a warm body because we have a large repertoire and need lots of dancers, but also gets the opportunity to see a promising dancer and know if this dancer is going to fit. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it provides us with um, to, you know, time to uh, see what they're made out of and what the qualities are and what kind of repertoire you would actually be assuming once you're in the core. Uh, if you're offered the contract. So you always have to evaluate the dancer and the repertoire in order to offer that contract. Mm-hmm. Bruce, you looked like you were going to yeah, say... Yeah, I, I was going to say much the same. It's a year-long audition. You know, people will come and audition, and they might be seen in two or three classes, whereas an apprentice really gets a full mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. to show themselves. And there aren't always enough spaces to take on all the apprentices, but I think it's a very good um, thing to be able to put on their resume um, to say that they were Mm -hmm. an apprentice with Mm -hmm. this company if they're looking for work elsewhere. Well, speaking of, um, this is the crop of apprentices this year, and working their way through um, our training hierarchy, a number of these dancers were part of our trainee program, and I wonder if one of you would briefly describe the trainee program? Well, um, it's a wonderful spot. So you do your eight years of um, training in the school, and the trainee program has um, its own repertoire. Uh, He has his own, uh, what do we call Patrick? He is the director, um, I mean, He's a ballet master for it. You know, Helge is still the artistic director for it. Um, it they have their own schedule. They, they, are, they learn to, um, to have a professional schedule, um, class and rehearsals, uh, do the principal roles. Um, it really is a great, a great opportunity. It's that bridge between the school and the company. Um, oftentimes, they will perform company repertoire, perhaps all company repertoire, and um, they also get a lot of new creations, um, which is a great opportunity for you to discover what your, you know, again, your style would be, or you know, something that you might not get a chance to um, to to dance once you're in the company. And um, it's great; they do get to perform in great many different venues. Um, to also work with, you know, some of, some of us from the company, as well as, you know, this, the uh, very, very wonderful s- staff from the San Francisco Ballet School. 
I think um, I would underscore that they actually have their own performing schedule, and they go out and do um, like high school performances, um, little little tours. Education programs. Right, education and, yeah. programming. And that gives them the opportunity to dance, as you were saying, solo roles that they probably won't get to dance in once they get into the Yeah, company. and also reach audiences that, mm -hmm. that we don't get to. So it is, mm -hmm. it is a win-win situation for, you know, for a trainee to be a part of this program. And your opportunity to see them is the annual student showcase because when you come to see that performance at the end of the year, the school, dance, the school students perform, all levels perform, and then a good hunk of the program are fully produced pieces danced by the trainees, which I know those of you who see them know how much fun that is. But one other thing that was, Bruce just reminded me was wonderful. This last year, Helgi had the thought that we might use a, a ballet performed by the trainees in our annual Stern Grove performance, which is the big one that's f free. Uh, and they, they just shone uh, uh, in the middle of the program, I think it was. They, you know, they, they looked like they belonged right along with us. And the, and the piece they danced was choreographed by one of our dancers named Miles Thatcher, who is a former trainee. So it was, it was really wonderful. A perfect, a perfect integration. And, and they are invited to learn lots of uh, our ballets during the year. They can't participate as much as an apprentice because they have their own program, but they are very involved in, in our season as well. And some of these apprentices have come up through the trainee program, so it's part of the progression. Which is... Well, moving forward to um, the repertoire that you will be seeing as the season goes by, We'll just slide through a little bit. I'm sure most of you remember Chroma, a stunning piece that was premiered last year, created on the company by Wayne McGregor. Oh, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Caught me. Um, we are waiting for him to create a work on San Francisco Ballet. That would be great. Someday soon, we hope. Um, yes, and those, some of you may remember his earlier work that was very startling, which was Eden, Eden. So... Chroma is um, his recent piece from last year, and we're very pleased that it's returned. We're, we're just working on it today. Of course, you know, we've been very busy with Onegin, with a four cast of Onegin and full company involved. But in the past, um, you know, two days actually, we started on Chroma, and oh my God, what a different vocabulary. All of our core and our ribs are sore, and even me from you know, ballet mastering remind them where is the way to go with that torso. It's uh, <laughs> it's quite challenging, but quite beautiful to see how you know the dancers can go from performing something like Onega and going into chroma into such extreme movement. Um, also on that program will be uh, returning from last year, uh, premiere by Christopher Wilden, number nine, and. You will probably now remember that it was the most notable thing about it, among how beautifully created it was, is the color. Oh, my goodness. And I was privileged to have a conversation with the designer who spoke about how she had a good time playing with the idea of the color and the light. And that's uh, Christopher Wielden's number nine. And then also on that, program, which will be, no, you're right. I got my cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool that you know, this is such a complex season to keep track of who's on first must be. Um, you're right. It's on program three, but returning from last year as a premiere last year and an encore presentation this season, Helgi's piece, which just visually couldn't be more different from Chroma, and again from number nine. Um, muted, warm, uh, his music was Tchaikovsky, and the um, ro a very romantic, elegant, elegant in the neoclassic style. So we'll be glad to see that. This season has a lot of Tchaikovsky, incidentally, yeah. and less familiar. Not a swan lake or a sleeping beauty to be found. And later down the season on program six, we will be able to see an encore of Yuri Posakov's stunning Raku. 
to the commission score by Shinji Eshima, who is a San Francisco ballet family member. He has played bass fiddle in the San Francisco Ballet Orchestra for 32 years, I think he said. Um, and created this score for Yuri. Um, quite an extraordinary piece. If you haven't seen it, you have it to look forward to. If you did see it, you're looking forward to it. We are reviving a number of pieces that were performed in earlier seasons. Alexei Ratmansky, who has um, really, since he created this piece for San Francisco Ballet, and it was, I believe it was the first American commission that he received. He is a Russian-trained um, dancer and choreographer. He has created a work for every company in the world and has served time as a director of the Bolshoi Ballet. And he is currently, I believe, the resident choreographer at American Ballet Theater. And um, we are just delighted because if you recall the Carnival des Animaux, it's, the choreography itself is perfectly serious, but the tone is light and fun and a good, good opportunity to give serious things a break. Um, coming up on program four, our second full length, we might have the opportunity to say a few things about Romeo and Juliet a little bit later when we're talking about the importance and the impact of the full lengths, but here are just a couple of the images of this stunningly beautiful, beautifully dressed piece with its signature pas de deux. <clears throat> I actually have some video from it. Reappearing on program five, the fifth season, a piece that Helgi Thomason created in 2006 to the music of Carl Jenkins in the neoclassic style. And also on program five, a personal favorite of mine, Glass Pieces, choreographed by Jerome Robbins to the music of Philip Glass. And I'm so glad the company's reviving that. It should never be out of repertoire for very long. Deep into our history, um, it's been a number of years since this was performed, the Raimonda Act Three, and that's, I think, is our representative pedipa for the season. And we don't have an image from it. Bruce, I know you're working on it. Um, the company actually performed Nureyev's Act Three of the full-length version about 10 years ago maybe 12 years ago. Um, but this, this is a, a production that he created on the Royal Ballet Company, which is basically the same ballet, but it's lifted solos that were in the other two acts of the full-length version. So this has even more dancing in it than the version the company saw before, or the, the audience saw before. Um, I think it's a ravishing look, and probably in terms of technical requirement, one of the most demanding classical works that the company will be doing this year. Um, there are five solos for principal ladies and various other dances within the piece. And whilst it's part of a story, none of them are telling a story. They just get up and they dance. And they dance very hard, demanding steps. And it looks easy, hopefully. And it's that wonderful, it's the thing that grounds us in our dance d'école, our, our schooled traditional training. And I think we need to have a piece like this on every season so that the other pieces, the more contemporary pieces, um, have a, a reference point. I think that's how I look at it, besides the fact that it's just gorgeous and fun. Um, this is returning to the repertoire after, I think it's been 40 years, but San Francisco Ballet did perform this in a much earlier era. Um, the music is the Mendelssohn Scotch Symphony. 
this was created by Balanchine in the early 1950s for, I believe it was Maria Talchief and Andrei Aglevsky, great, great dancers of the era. And is he, any of you working on it? Anita, tell us a word or two about it. It's, I think it's going to be a, a new thing for us. Yeah, it's, not, it's a really nice, different view of Balanchine for our audience. I think it, it's, um, it's an homage to La Silphide. It's uh, classicism and Bourneville technique. I think, he, I think he was inspired when his company had a trip to Edinburgh, and he went to the tattoo. If any of you have been there and they've seen this, the military demonstration in the great, great yard, large courtyard and the guys in kilts. And so he incorporated all these things with just a thread of a story about a sylph. There's a sylph. The ballerina is a sylph, and she's sort of guarded um, by the men in kilts a little bit. And she's pursued by um, a, a, a simple guy uh, who happened to be, uh, for many, many years in the New York City ballet, Helgi Thomason. He danced the role very many, many times with Patricia McBride mainly. And it was really wonderful to be in the studio with him, as it always is when he's sharing what he remembers of a role he did. And this one was really very helpful, I think, to, for the dancers to get the tone of the piece. It's, it's just fun, and yet you do, you do want us to have a sense of character and, and, and very light uh, and very romantic. And, and again, a very, a very big challenge technically for everyone, and the core as well, and uh, a, a dynamite solo for a little girl in, in kilt who, uh, who starts the first movement. It's, it's, I really love it. It's just beautiful. Well, and it, oh, go ahead. Because no, I just wa I wanted to say uh, I saw it with New York City Ballet some 15 years ago, and when I first saw it, I was so impressed with the grand defilés and the display of all these dancers in kilts, and it's just really quite a spectacle. It's just gorgeous to look at, and you see all these groups coming on and on and on and on. It's just really beautiful. Well, it will, dance. Yeah, it will be wonderfully contrasted on the program, it's an all-balancing program that we were mentioning earlier, program six, I think, no, I'm sorry, seven, um, with Divertimento number 15, which is Balanchine's homage to Mozart and to classicism. And um, the ballerina is in a tutu, and everything is, is very restrained and refined. So here we have, in a way, our little ballet history. We're going to do the Mozart, and then we do the Mendelssohn, the Romantic, and then we finish up with the Four Temperaments, which is um, the spectacular, groundbreaking work that Balanchine created as early as 1946, but looks absolutely modern, I think, whenever we see it. Um, it was one of the first ballets in which Balanchine simply took the costumes off and said, the dancers' arms, legs, and bodies are going to be what you see. So I'm really looking forward to that program. Well, the season will conclude, and I mean, what a fabulous way to conclude the season with something as big and grand and colorful and chock full of dancing and lighthearted as Don Quixote. And this season, we have brand new sets and costumes on our familiar production. So you won't be seeing any different dancing, any different acting, but you'll be seeing new sets and costumes by Santo Loquasto, right? Um, here we have... I have made how many? Five big mistakes tonight. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, Martin Pacaldinez, who has done a number of things for us, and this will be his opportunity to, he, for instance, the Nutcracker. <laughs> um, the main character, Basilio, Kitri. If you've had a chance to go to the ballet yet this season, you will have your program guide, and it will have some uh, photographs taken at a staged photo shoot, but in the, the, a few of the costumes were made last summer. We've, we've been uh, doing the custom fitting for uh, um, Don Quixote 
um, in January, and uh, it was really amazing to see these incredible costumes. Um, every, every dancer was having to go um, down to their fitting, and there were, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of new costumes with the most gorgeous materials and the most imaginative designs. And um, I think my favorite, absolutely, without seeing it on stage, but I couldn't believe the craft, the, um, how they crafted the, the, um, the costumes for the, uh, the tutus for the, for the dream scene. I, you know, I have really high expectations uh, for the designs and the sets. You know, it just looks amazing. I just, it's often time, I mean, it's often you, you see costumes and you go, okay, you know, very nice. But once you see in the light, of course, they come alive. But these costumes are already, like, so alive, just laying there without being worn or, you know, being in the light. So I'm very looking forward to it. Well, we can talk a little bit more about this piece when we're talking about big works. Moving along, we have four world premieres this year. The first that we will see, I believe, is on Program 2, coming up in another week or so, um, choreographed by Mark Morris, using um, an interesting score by Bohuslav Martinou. And uh, this is a dance for nine men. And I think it sounds fascinating. I will say that our points of view program in two weeks will be featuring a conversation about this piece and ballet master Betsy Erickson, who has worked with Mark Morris since he first started working with San Francisco Ballet 20 years ago, will be my guest, so we will have a great opportunity then. Um, Francesca D'Arimini, which is Yuri Posakov's premiere this season, to another one of our Tchaikovsky pieces. And I believe you're working on that. That will be coming up very soon on program three. And... Two words about it? Oh, we're just busy reconstructing it now. It's really uh, been very fun because everybody seems to be on the same level of excitement. It seems that everybody's enjoying it. The, the, the ensemble of five women uh, don't feel like a core at all. They're uh, solo women in, in it, too. And and they're very tall, and they're moving as big as, as Yuri can, can invent for ways for them to move, and I think they're really enjoying the freedom to be a tall person and cover ground, mm -hmm. and as a, as a group, it's really powerful, and uh, an, an amazing parade again that he's done for the lovers, um, and and a, a short, a brief telling, but the music is, is short. It's a tone poem or a symphonic poem, telling the the short bit of Dante's Inferno about. The two lovers who who one is married one is married to a guy, but it was kind of arranged, and she doesn't really like him. It's actually a longer story than that, but it's not really time to put it in the in the dance. So you just see that a, a woman is with a certain man, and when he leaves, she falls with another man, and then their descent into hell for the adultery. It's rich. <laughs> <laughs> And knowing in Yuri's hands it will be magnificently treated. And there's uh, murder, too. <laughs> uh, we have um, a choreographer who's pretty new to San Francisco Ballet, Edward Liang, who actually created a piece that was seen on a gala a couple years ago. Um, his premiere will be seen on a Program 5. He's used the music of Rachmaninoff. And I'm just going to say we will definitely be hearing and seeing more about it in the next few weeks. And finally, another, I would say definitely, new choreographer to San Francisco Ballet, uh, Ashley Page. Um, his music is John Adams, which is not new to the company. Um, and that work is um, appearing down the season on program six. And uh, do we know much about this piece? Are you? Yes, I'm actually the ballet master for Ashley. It has been really quite a journey. Um, he uses John Adams' Guide to Strangers to Strange Places, um, a, a huge body of of, of music, uh, full orchestration. According to um, to Martin West, the orchestra is going to end up sweating on this one because it's really quite a workout, and basically every instrument has a solo at one point or another, and so do the dancers. He's going to be using 20 dancers. He has um, uh, four couples and, uh, of, as principals. He has a padicat, so, uh, so there are four soloists. 
and then four of the girls um, who danced like soloists, very complex, very inventive, and wonderfully musical. And um, I've I, it's been really a, a journey for all of us because he, uh, he would ask for the impossible and we work on the impossible. And then, we, you know, and then next day, okay, let's try to do something that was so impossible. And I was just in awe of how um, brave of a choreographer he is. You know, my experiences with other choreographers have been that, you know, they really think about what they're going to do. And Ashley has an idea and quite a good understanding of the music. But when we went into the studio and he said, well, try this and try that, and then somebody fell and said, oh, I could use that. Oh, that way you pick her up. And everything was useful. So it was really, really great. And I, I was just in awe and going like, wow, you know, he's got no fear. So it was really, really wonderful. And I'm so, um, you know, um, I think it's going to be really a really thrilling dance to watch, you know, quite exhilarating, and uh, it is on point, um, and very much a partnering dance where, you know, uh, the couples part of themselves, the, the, the guys dance with each other, the girls dance with each other, you know, interact, and, um, you know, it's kind of uh, quite complex traffic, so it, it'll, be, it'll be really, really beautiful. And I just uh, love his interpretation of this very, very complex music, which I listened to, and then I went like, wow, he's going to, cho to choreograph for that, to that. And I was just happy that he chose me to go into that journey, and I can't wait to see the results on stage. Thank you. I've, now I'm really, really looking forward to that. <laughs> That's, again, down the road um, program, what did I say, program six, I think. Yeah. Well, now, I hope we've saved enough time to really talk about Onegin. This has been um, quite a journey for the company. It's a big piece. It's a, it's a significant piece. It's taken a long time for it to make its way to San Francisco. And I wonder if... We have just a couple of pictures here that kind of show the color of it. Our new soloist. <laughs> and our new soloist, Clara Blanco. Um, I wonder if, would each of you, let's see, tell us how you work, how you put a piece that's this complex together and what role each of you plays in a role, in a piece as big and complex as this. Bruce, what are you doing with um, Onyegin? There were four principal couples that I don't know if you've been to see all four couples. I advise you do because they're all worth viewing. And each of them were sort of designated a ballet master uh, or ballet mistress to rehearse with them so that we could rehearse in separate studios. Um, and on top of that, then Betty Erickson particularly was looking after the corps de ballet. And you'll see some very clear um, moments when there are large groups of dancers working either as, as a party group or in a very a much more formal setting. Um, and I think other than over, sort of overseeing our own couples, it was generally sort of getting the sense of the specifics of the ballet. It's very, very beautifully crafted um, to the Tchaikovsky score. And there are very few areas for anyone to misinterpret what they've been asked to do. And they have to be very precise, but at the same time they're not restricted. They're not trapped into having to replicate each other. So, and that's the joy of it, that it allows different dancers to interpret the same role differently and yet within very strict guidelines. And I, I found that fascinating. And it's, it's quite, quite um, revealing when you realize people are getting off the music and you suddenly realize that actually, no, that is, that's saying that. You've got to be saying that gesture right at that moment or things begin to sort of become fuzzy in a way. So I think for all of us, we were sort of really trying to um, make sure that everybody was capturing all of the information and delivering it accurately. Anita, would you be able to say, um, 
in, in just a sort of elevator speech, the background of the story. So what is the story that is being told? Well, it's uh, Pushkin's poem, uh, and it's a very long poem, but it's basically about, um, it, as, as is shown in our ballet, Onyegin is a, a man, we call him a dandy, who, he's from high society, from the city, and he finds himself in the country, and he's att he attends uh, events at, at what he considers sort of a, a not a lower class, but not as not as tony as he's used to, and he's been to a lot. He's that's all he does, and he's he's also he's very intelligent. He's extremely well mannered. He's incredibly handsome. He's had you can you could safely assume that he's had lots of women in his life, and. So it, his first encounter with this, the family is um, by his friend Lenski, and he he is really bored with all of it, and he just he sort of takes favor with Tatiana because she's a pretty young girl and she seems a little more serious. She carries a book around, and they they have an interlude, and she's very you know very young, and she becomes just smitten. It, it, and what, she, what happens is that she, when she goes to bed that night after this party, she, she decides she's going to write him a love letter and send it along with her nurse to give to him. Well, in, the, in their next encounter, it is her name uh, day party, and he is again invited, and, and he's even more m miffed to have, having been there. I read, I read something that I thought was interesting, he, that um, Lenski promised him that it was a very small affair with just the family, and when he got here, there were again all these people, and he, and they're all trying to say hello to him, and he's just, he just gets more and more annoyed, and he, you know, it's, it, but it's, but it's interesting because it's, it's not, not easy to hate him. He's still very interesting, and and he has a lighter side, and he does dance with her again, and um, but in what I learned from what I was reading. I don't know if you'll see it. Part of the reason he flirts with Olga, who is Lenski's fiance, is because he's ang he's irritated with Lenski that he dra drag dragged him to another boring affair, but and, and it gets out of hand. So should I keep going? Is it too? Well, you know, I don't know. Quickly. People want to see it for themselves, maybe. Yeah. So well, but that's just, enough. Yeah, hmm. the arc of the story is that. Um, Tatiana is brokenhearted. Her young girlish yeah. fantasy is smashed. He, he rejects her letter. And then um, there's this very dramatic scene that follows with um, he and Lenski get into a terrible argument. Lenski, this is Lenski here, um, danced in this case by Gennady uh, Negevin. And they end up challenging to a duel, and we have a genuine tragedy, and Lenski is shot and killed. And then, of course, that sort of ends the act. And then we switch forward in time. I don't know, do you want to talk about the final movement? Um, sure, maybe Bruce would be better at But, um, so some 15 Thank years you. later, um, Lenski, uh, actually, we should go back to the second act. When, when Tatiana, after being rejected by Onegin, um, having expressed her true love for him, uh, she, she is, she marries to, to a Prince Grimmin, and, you know, not for love, um, but, you know, for money, but although she, she, um, truly loves him in another type of way, it's another type of love. And um, she's she's quite happy in her new life in St. Petersburg, and, and you know, and with her social life. Uh, some so many years later, Onegin comes back and sees um, Tatiana, and he can't believe uh, his eyes how she's become this very woman that he has always desired, glamorous and with class, educated, and. She awakens um, a passionate love for her, and he realizes that he's missed uh, the love of his life and what he always wanted it. But he um, he was basically, you know, materialistic guy who um, just she asked him at one point, "Do you love me now? Because now I'm 
you know, a, a, my proper lady and I have all the, all the money and the position socially. So he falls in love with her and writes a letter back to her expressing his love for her. And she's torn because um, she has learned this other type of love and she's forgotten about, you know, her passion, but she, she really wants to honor Grimmins, um, you know, marriage um, to her. So in the last scene, which is a devastating, most wonderful part of the the most amazing music, the most powerful part of the story, although he's come back and then he gets her to admit, yes, I do love you, Onegan, but I will honor my marriage to Gremen, which is far more significant, and tears the letter and sends him off. Um, It's just a really striking ending to a story where normally, you know, she would die or, <laughs> or, or you know, and instead, instead he tells this bastard to just go and <laughs> be yourself. <laughs> so this is quite a story, and it sounds very complex, and there's a lot of 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 emotion, a lot of drama. John Cranko made it into a ballet. He made people dance this story. Um, say, each of you, just say a few words about the choreography and the, the result of Cranko's effort. Um, I don't know, Bruce, do you want to start? Um, what I love about it is there isn't a step that doesn't mean something for the principles. And there's a, a particular solo that Lenski dances towards the end of Act Two, where, which is incredibly difficult, um, an adagio slow solo, and every, every moment in it tells you where he is in himself and what's happened and what's going to happen. And that's what I think is so beautiful about the work. And it's incredibly um, succinct. He tells the story in very careful and light strokes. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's what we all learned a lot working on it because the people who brought it to us, Jane Bourne was the person who said it, and she was just amazing, uh, showing every single step, acting every part, I could have sworn she had been on the stage herself after a few days and fully expected it. And then she told me, well, no, I've never, I never danced in a company in my life. Um, and I, I was just really impressed with how thoroughly she understood and could convey everything. Um, and again, it's just the, the placement, even the placement of who is where on the stage is so critical. And once you see that they're not being picky, they're just getting it right. And, and they're, they're considering everyone in the theater and where they're looking from. And if you stand there, then the people over here can't see that. And therefore, they won't get what's going on. And, it, you know, and oh yeah, really specific. And when you see it done right, and you see that these people are now closer to the wing, it's like, voila. Of course it should be that way. You know, it's just, it's just right when it's right. And yet, like Bruce said, still open to variation and interpretation, but the, the setting and the, and the work itself was brought to us so, so perfectly. And, and it, it's a, just a pleasure to, to be a part of that and to try to preserve it, you know, all this week and if we ever do it again. Talk about the... You look like you want to say something. I want you to say something about the actual roles, particularly the role of Onegin and the role of Tatiana, which are um, sort of considered in the dance world to be plum roles to achieve. A ballerina or a dancer really looks at that part and says, oh, I hope that someday I can do that. Why? Say more about that. Well, you could wait a lifetime to, uh, to find roles like this. You know, you're always hoping that the company that you're in would bring a masterwork like this, you know, crafted so beautifully uh, by John Cranko, um, choreography, libretto, and, and, and the music, uh, which um, doesn't have a single measure of the, of the opera, but it's actually, you know, uh, an arrangement that... Um, 
the artistic director, um, the music director of the time, and John Cranko, rearranged according to his idea of what this ballet was going to be. So it is crafted with such passion, with such love, um, and the results after so many years, um, it's that of, of the kind of roles you definitely you know, most sort, sort after roles to do. I would have loved to be been Niegan. Um, I would love a chance to be a bastard in a ballet. Uh, <laughs> I was always the romantic or played the, something lyrical, but it would just be really, really challenging. I see these guys, how they're interpreting it, um, and it's just wonderful. And Tatiana, um, it's quite challenging, you know, being from a young girl, then to, to, to go through, through all these years. Um, by the time she gets to the third act and reunites with, with Onegan, um, she already has family, she's married, she's a proper lady, and you know, half of her has died, and she has to bring, you know, bring about, you know, he wakes up all this passion again. So, but she has to remain very, very serene and try to not to show that because she's made up her mind. I'm not going to let him do this to me again. And at some point, you know, uh, she's, she's feeling it, but then she has the courage to, to, be, to be somebody else and not to repeat her own mistakes. So it's quite challenging. In a way, when you play Swan Lake, okay, you're, you know, the good swan and the bad swan. In here, you have to be the, the young, innocent, naive, and then, you know, the woman with strength and, and security. So it's quite challenging. I, what has happened to us is what often does is that we've run out of time before we've run out of my questions and of material. What I want you to conclude our evening with is a comment about the role that a large dramatic work like this plays in a company's repertoire. That may sound like a very complex and heavy question, so it may be tricky to come up with a very concise comment about it. But the company is doing three full-length ballets. They're all different. Um, they're also doing the works like Chroma. They're doing The Four Temperaments. They're doing Scotch Symphony. What role do the dramatic full lengths play in a company's repertoire? Um, uh, for me, you put a body on a stage and it begins to tell a story, in a sense. Um, so to have these ballets where they are truly telling stories and becoming real people, I think is, is very important. And for them to do that within the, the structure of the classical training they've had, I think makes you realize how, how good training needs to be to be able to deliver these kinds of works. Um, story ballets, you can get to challenge yourself each time you come back to them, um, not just technically, but emotionally and artistically whereas some of the more contemporary ballets becomes a, a more visceral, inner um, sort of emotional thing. It's not about a person. So you experience something that's different plus the technical challenges of those. For me, narrative ballets offer just a different aspect of what dancers can be um, challenged by. I think in all the years that I've watched artists uh, take on full-length ballets for the first time especially, it is an enormous step in their growth as an artist. And it's a huge leap. Uh, it, it starts with the, the demands of being ready and, and uh, on for three acts usually, all night long. The, the audience is watching you. And, of course, there are issues of stamina and the amount of rehearsal it takes to prepare for this, plus the responsibility of being compared to other people who have ever done these full-length roles. So it is an enormous step in any ballerina or uh, premier dancer's career to, to do them. And even one, I've seen, even after one, their approach to the rest of their work is different. They're not as... Mm, like this about shorter ballets. They get much cooler. And much, it's just a huge leap of, of professionalism and, that this experience brings to them. So I think that's a really important part of it for any company. That's a wonderful observation. Thank you for that. Carter, you get to wrap it up. <laughs> uh, 
you take a, a, a work like Onega, and I feel like something wonderful has happened in my life because I, go, I can go across to the opera house and look forward to a production that, that is ravishingly beautiful and, and, and poetic, po such poetic choreography. I mean, um, oftentimes we do very experiment, experimental works, which, yes, taken to, a, to another um, area of, of dancing and choreography and expression, But here is um, a work where, where you can actually grow and where, is, where the experience, I, I would feel, I will compare it to an, act, to an actor. When you're an actor, you don't always want to play Joe, you know. So it is wonderful that, that you get a chance to be somebody else. As a, as in the workplace, for us, as a dancer, it is, it is a fantastic opportunity to, you know, one minute you're Juliet, another one you're a Sun Queen, another minute you're, you could be Tatiana. How enriching. And this is an experience that will take, that will carry on tradition, much like John Cranker brings to us in, in, almost, in 44 years of crafting a ballet that is now having its renaissance and where is one of the, pieces of repertoire that we should all see because it is, is, is a spectacle and it's just a beautiful experience. So in all of the um, repertory in the, in the full-length ballets, it is just a great opportunity to ultimately be a classical ballet company and for the company to continue its tradition through the young people and the, and the people who have the experience and for us to show ourselves as we are, you know, a ballet company. Thank you. I, it is time for us to say goodnight for this week. I want to thank Bruce and Anita and Ricardo for joining us. I hope that you will see Onegin with your eyes a little bit opened, with your minds a little bit challenged. I'm looking forward to seeing you all back here in two weeks when we will continue our Points of View programs. Thank you all for coming. Good night. Good night.